When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell Show. It's Tuesday. It is May the 24th, year of our Lord, 2022. Continues to just roll right along. Hard to believe how fast it's going. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Heard Tell. A lot of noise to turn down today. We're going to get right to it. Uh, We're going to go out to Russia, Ukraine, the UN in Geneva. We have a Russian dissenter who has resigned his post and has some very stark criticism for the Putin regime and their illegal war in Ukraine. Good to see somebody standing up over there, probably to their own peril. But we'll cover that story in a little bit. Also, we got some Congress critters in trouble. Uh, The House Ethics Committee has announced some investigation into three Congress people. We'll touch on that. Great story to close the program. Uh, I'm a girl dad, so I've done my share of dressing up with Disney princesses and such. Uh, Cool fundraiser out in Wisconsin for theaters and arts programs. Do exactly what they want to do. Dress up like Disney characters. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Our guest, Ben Sears. He is a writer at Ordinary-Times.com. He's been writing about a story. We don't cover sports a whole lot on Hertel, although I'm a big sports fan. Uh, but this one broke through, so we're going to cover it. Nick Saban, uh, the, uh, of course, all-time winningest college football coach, one of the all-time greats at Alabama, has a lot of rings on them fingers, got into a heated thing with former friend, if you listen to him, Jimbo Fisher, who also has a national title ring. Uh, they're going at it but it gets to the heart of some of the changes in college football about how money's getting handled, how the players can now make money on their own images and likeness. And this brings up the old uh, arguments about corruption and things like that. Ben Sears has been writing about football for many, many years. He's a great writer. He's going to join us, help us turn down the noise on that. How corrupt is college football? Is it as corrupt as we think? This sort of thing. How's money going to change it now that the players have a whole lot more power? Ben Sears, great guest. Make sure you get into that. But let's start with some domestic politics on this Tuesday. Our friend Jay Caruso, uh, of course, the editor of Washington Examiner magazine, a longtime writer and commentator, good friend. We appreciate his work. He has a newsletter every Monday called The The Morning Notice. Uh, Heavily recommend that you go and subscribe to that. I do. I want to read a piece of his latest Monday notice. Um, He's talking about 
uh, specifically the Democratic Party, but wider as we get to the end of it. Um, the Democrats are listening, but not hearing. And the Republicans may have the same problem from his piece. This is towards the end of it, quoting Jay Caruso. On the one hand, inflation is not an issue confined to the United States, but at the same time, ignoring that the American Rescue Plan contributed to inflation and brushing inflation off is no big deal represents the Democratic messaging people have seen. What's worse, of course, is President Biden and Porter and Klain and others trying to sell people on another $3.5 trillion in spending as a cure for inflation. Democrats are listening, but they're not hearing. A crystal clear example came on Bill Maher's Real Time on HBO this past week. This is Jay Caruso writing. Adam Carolla was a guest, and as was Donna Brazil, the longtime commentator and Democratic operative. At one point, Brazil said to Carolla, I know you're not a Republican. What are you, by the way? Carolla went on to explain his significant political issues are taxes and regulation. He said, I like to build stuff. And as a, he is a carpenter by trade, he also built and owns a multi-million dollar media business. Carolla points Brazil and Maurer to the amount of red tape and bureaucracy he has to go through to build anything is ridiculous. Still, he's a progressive on social issues, and he'd love for there to be a Democratic Party that pulls back on the taxes and regulations and maintains its policies on social issues. Brazil's response, she mentioned the Democratic Party's fight for a higher minimum wage, which is regulation, and lowering prescription drug prices, which is fiddling with stuff, and you could kind of stretch it into being a tax. She was two feet away from him, this is Jay Caruso writing, and still didn't hear a word he said, and not only Corolla. Mayor detailed his frustrations with trying to get solar panels installed at his home, which took nearly three years. Democratic attempts to blame greedy corporations have also backfired. Elizabeth Warren made a fool of herself again by suggesting Kroger and other grocers were artificially raising prices to boost profits, revealing nothing but her complete lack of understanding how the grocery business works and their super slim margins. Biden wants to sick the FTC on meatpacking plants. Democrats have proposed, quote, windfall profit taxes on corporations and separate taxes on oil companies. They keep losing the plot. Listen to this. Jay's not wrong where he goes here. None of these suggest Republicans are ready to take the wheel and offer up any better solutions. House Republicans laid out their likely agenda, and it's all about the border, proxy voting, committee assignments, and investigating Hunter Biden. Yay. That's not to say nothing of Republican nominating a conspiracy theory spouting 2020 election truther like Doug Mastriano for the governor of Pennsylvania. We've covered that. Um, Go read our friend uh, Michael Siegel's piece about that. And the Republicans will likely select Carrie Lake, a white right wing lunatic in the Arizona to run for governor. So they will throw away two winnable governor's races by nominating wackadoos. In Georgia, it appears as though David Perdue's goose is cooked, which is evidence from Trump backing off his handpicked challenger against Brian Kemp. But that doesn't mean Kemp will win the general election against the quintessential Democratic election truther Stacey Abrams. The MAGA set will probably be so mad at Kemp for violating his oath of office and working to overturn the 2020 results that many of them might sit home and pout instead of voting. If Republicans are stupid enough to think investigating Hunter Biden will work for them when people are paying $5 for a gallon of gas, they have a rude awakening. No one cares about Hunter Biden. No one gives a blank about proxy voting. Border security is an important issue, but it's not nearly as much as the economy, inflation, and crime. It's all going to get worse before it gets better. That's Jay Caruso writing in his morning notice newsletter. I quibble with a few things there, but overall, I think Jay's right. The political parties are in a campaign season. That means 
they're not just talking about issues they think voters want to hear about. They're going after issues that fire up their bases, that fire up their fundraising, that will get those core bases out to the polls, especially in the primaries. Now, the smart ones that win their primaries will start messaging and tailoring themselves to the general election and moving back towards the center a little bit, try to get as many votes as they want. But we're in a different paradigm right now. We have, like Jay pointed out, some hardcore Trump people who are going to go to the wall over the 2020 election was stolen and other conspiracy theories that have been proven false. These folks won't modulate. They're not going to try to bring in independence. They're not going to try to get Democratic voters who may be, like Adam Carolla was talking about, disaffected with the Democratic Party right now. Those voters are out there. President Trump getting elected proved that because he got a ton of what we used to call blue dog or moderate Democrats. But if you're going to go hardcore conspiracy theory and the election was stolen and Trump is still president, whatever other nonsense you go to, you're not going to get those folks. More importantly, the folks that try to get away from that stuff may not get the hardcore Trump supporters like in Georgia. We're going to have to wait and see. I don't know how all this shakes out, but I think Jay's right on the point of here. Neither one of these political parties really listen to voters unless they have to. And right now they don't think they have to. They think they can just play to their bases, get their fundraising numbers up, and it's going to work out for them in November. There's a lot of danger there. The electorate is never as stupid as the political parties think they are. They tend to surprise you. They tend to go against the grain on certain things, especially if they feel like they're getting forced into things. Something to really watch in this midterm campaign season, especially with some of the people that are getting through the primaries. How does the electorate parse out people who are clearly not fit for office? And how do they parse out people who are just run-of-the-mill politicians? It's a sad state of affairs that we've got there, but we're there. Are either political party listening to the voters? Not particularly. Is that a new problem? Nope. Is it going to get solved anytime soon? I doubt it. But a lot of that's our fault, too. We've never made them listen to us. Maybe that'll change sometime in the near future. Not going to hold my breath, though. Read all of the morning notice. Uh, Jay Caruso writes, it's excellent. It's linked in the show notes, and we'll do more Herd Tell right after this. Tell me, Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for staying with us. Okay, here's one we didn't see coming. A Russian diplomat quit over the war in Ukraine. This is from the BBC. A Russian diplomat has quit his job in protest at the, quote, bloody witless uh, war, quote, unleashed by Putin against Ukraine. Now, this is interesting. Boris Bonderev, uh, whose LinkedIn says he worked at the Russian mission to the UN in Geneva, told The BBC, he knew his decision to speak out may mean the Kremlin now considers him a traitor, but he stood by the statement, which he described the war as, quote, a crime against the Ukrainian people and the people of Russia. Now, Moscow has not yet commented on his comments. Russia has cracked down on those who are critical of or veneer from the official narrative surrounding the war. Excuse me. Special military operation. That's the lie they're feeding everybody, that it's a special military operation. It's not a war, even though they've lost a third of their ground forces. Russia's cracked down on those who are critical of or veer from the official narrative sound of the war, which it refers to only as a special military operation. In a letter posted on social media and shared with fellow diplomats, Mr. Bonderev explained that there have been chosen to end his 20-year career in the service because he could know, this is a quote, 
longer share in this bloody, witless, and absolutely needless ignominy. Uh, those who conceive this war want only one thing to stay in power forever. To achieve that, they are willing to sacrifice as many lives as it takes. Thousands of Russians and Ukrainians have already died for just this. The letter, letter does not hold back over his former employees either, accusing Russians' foreign ministry, especially Lar- Lar- Lavrov, who we've already covered and being sanctioned. Both of his families are being sanctioned, his official one and his side piece. Uh, more interested in, quote, lies and hatred than diplomacy. As the resignation letters go, this one was scathing. Um, it didn't hold back. And he said, it's rare to hear such words from a Russian official. In the three months since Vladimir Putin launched what he's still calling the special military operation in Ukraine, what most of the world calls Russia's war in Ukraine, um, there have been few signs of open dissent in the Russian state institutions. Embarrassing for the Russian authorities? Absolutely. They like to make out that the state machine here is fully behind President Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. But one resignation does not automatically mean that many more will follow. Mr. Bonderov admitted to me that he's in the minority. He believes that for now, most officials in the Russian foreign ministry back the official line and support Russia's special operation. Speaking to the BBC, Mr. Bonderov uh, said he had, quote, not seen any alternative to resign. I don't think it will change a lot, frankly. But I think I may need to be the one little brick in the bigger wall who would eventually be built. I hope he said he has been met with colleagues with happiness, delight and euphoria that the fact that Russia has, quote, taken some radical steps. I now now they're less happy with that because we're facing some problems with the economy first overall. But I don't see many of them would repent and change their views. They may become a little bit less radical, less aggressive, quite a bit, but not peaceful, he said. In contrast, Mr. Bondarev said the open letter, he said, never been so ashamed of my country as he was on 24 February, the day the invasion began. It is unclear if he is the first diplomat to resign, although no one has spoken out publicly. Mr. Bonderov is under no illusions and Moscow will now see him as a traitor, but notes he hasn't done anything illegal. I just resigned and spoke my mind, but I think I have to be concerned about my safety, of course. Uh, hopefully there's more people like him brave enough to speak out. It's not going to do a whole lot of good. Uh, Putin is very entrenched in power. But at some point, if the Russian people want better, they're going to have to do something about their leadership. It's going to take a lot of guts. It's going to take a lot of bravery. It's probably going to have a massive crackdown because murderous thug dictators like Vladimir Putin don't want to give up power. But it's going to be on the Russian people if they ever get enough of this and want to do something about it. There's not going to be big regime change from the outside. But obviously, Vladimir Putin shouldn't be in charge of a country, especially as the head of a cobble of oligarchs who run that country like a criminal organization. And he's the mafia boss of them. And he's now been got the deaths of thousands of innocents in Ukraine on his hands, along with journalists and other dissenters that he's been killing publicly for years. Vladimir Putin's evil. At some point, the Russians get tired of being ruled by evil. They're going to have to take it into their own hands. More Hertel right after this. Ah, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, fresh face, new topic. We don't talk a whole lot of sports, but sometimes it bleeds over into culture and politics. And boy, this short story sure did. Uh, he's a contributor at Ordinary-Times.com, also writes a couple other places, writing about football and things like that. Good guy. Occasionally makes pizzas. Sometimes he even gets paid to do so. Good guy about food also. Uh, ben Sears, how are you, my friend? Doing very well. Thank you for having me on. 
Uh, thrilled to have you on. You're writing in Ordinary Times. Okay, let me just tee it up this way. So you have two of the five national championship holding coaches in college football basically going at each other in the media. This doesn't happen a whole lot, but when it does, this has been pretty spectacular. Turn the noise down for us. What's going on here? Because we have Nick Saban. Uh, we have Jimbo Fisher. Used to be buddies. Uh, they're from the same part of the country. There's a long history between these two fellers. Uh, but turn down the noise for us. What's actually going on here and what got it to the point that it's actually crossing over into regular media now? Well, the funny thing is that you say they used to be buddies. Um, back in LSU, and I can't remember if it's 2003 or 2004, but either way, they won a national championship together. Uh, Jimbo was the offensive coordinator for Saban, and they did quite well. Uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Jimbo's calling Saban a narcissist, telling him despicable, telling saying that everybody that he's ever worked with uh, would kind of back him up on this and then there's and saying that there's a reason why he'd never work with him again uh, unfortunately you can go to 2018 and you can see jimbo waiting for an hour outside of the uh the locker room for the national championship alabama team to say what a great job saban did and to congratulate him it, this is a weird situation i've not seen a, it, you don't want to say popcorn time, but I've not seen two guys go at each other like this. And Sankey, the uh, the SEC commissioner, seems to have shut it down. Um, it was about to get better when Lane Kiffin was scheduled for the uh, the Dan Patrick show. And you, you can only imagine where that would have gone, because Lane Kiffin is one of the more interesting uh, the voices, <laughs> specifically because he doesn't say what he's supposed to say one of the most interesting voices in college football. Um, and then on top of that, you have the, uh, the unaligned now uh, Steve Spurrier, who came in and said, basically, Saban didn't say anything that, that was untrue. Saban said, uh, Saban said specifically what happened. So you've got this weird situation where Jimbo Fisher, Fisher is having a very, very uh, bad reaction to people pointing out that what he did is what he did and it was legal and it was fine. It's just not exactly the spirit of the law, but there, he, nobody's saying he broke any rules. Uh, he's saying that, uh, that Saban is accusing his players of breaking the rules, but my reading is that that's just not the case. Now, of course, we're talking about the ability of players to license themselves. This has completely changed. Uh, college sports because now there's a ton of money the accusation you took to it in your piece ordinary-times.com the accusation has been as well it's always been this way now it's just going to be out in the public and we're going to know who's paying who you kind of detailed this article to the people who thinks the whole system's corrupt i'll be honest i'm one of them uh we have the long-running joke with our lsu friends of they ask what kind of season they're having i was like i don't know what's your salary cap this year um, this is this is stuff that's been going on for years. Let's just be adults here, especially in the SEC. Everybody accuses everybody. There's been some really ugly investigations uh, into specifically SEC schools over the years. Um, we can go back further before yours and mine day, of course, you know, Southern Methodists and the death penalty and all that. We know there's a lot of ugly stuff in college athletics. We know money is the root of a lot of that ugly stuff. Is that the case, though? Is it just all corrupt and everybody's getting paid or is the truth a little more nuanced than that? I just don't think it's as corrupt as people think. I'm not saying it's not corrupt. I, I, I do think that there's, yeah, 
there's money exchanging hands. There's um, there's people enticing people to go to places where they other was otherwise wouldn't go to. But um, you know, as I wrote in the uh, in the Ordinary Times piece, imagine you're a college player who thinks you're going to be the greatest pro ever, and it just doesn't work out. What's your what's your second option? And your second option to me would be to go to uh, to sports broadcasting. So if you go to sports broadcasting, now it's you in competition with everybody else that ever put on a jock strap, and you need to uh, you, you need to separate yourself. So why, considering all of the busts in the history of college football, why hasn't there been just this overwhelming? Um, I don't know. Well, it should be waves of people sitting there and and busting the story, doing the great um, the, the great whistleblower, and saying this is what college football is. And we've had a couple small, but they were never backed up. Uh, this is this is an amazing cover up if there you know, if it doesn't exist. And so I I, I do kind of think that the idea that college football is corrupt is, is overblown. I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, there aren't dollars handed over under the table or the, uh, what do they call it? The hundred dollar handshake at the end of the game, you, you, you got a touchdown and somebody shakes your hand and then you walk away with an extra hundred. I'm not saying that's not happening, but um, I just don't think it's to the extent that it, 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 it is expected to be. Ben Sears, uh, writer at Ordinary-Times.com, joining us, talking a little college football that's spilled out into a lot of other areas. Uh, you kind of answered your own question in your own piece here, though, because you said if there is corruption, you went to a uh, comparison that's probably a little harsh for college football, but I, some of these coaches, I wouldn't doubt they'd probably kill over it. Uh, you talked about organized crime, the Omerta, the Sicilians, uh, and we're not talking about the Princess Bride ones that just do logic games with cups of poison although Saban probably would try that with certain people. You never know. Uh, you're talking about the Omerta. Would it have to be a code of silence thing? Now, I think the coaches probably have that, that the coaches know, you know, everybody knows where the bodies are buried. That's a close-knit fraternity. Everybody knows each other. There's not that many of those guys at that level. But I kind of agree with you. I don't think you could keep all the staff quiet. I don't think you could keep all the players quiet, all the people at the the boosters. They're all, you know, they're all attention hungry people. I think the whole thing's corrupt, but I'm kind of, I want to hear you out on this because I agree with you. It's like, that's a lot of people to try to keep quiet about something, isn't it? Well, I think I, 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 Lane Kiffin said he, uh, he was speechless after what Jimbo Fisher said. Um, I, I don't know which way that works. Uh, does that mean that he was speechless because they have this code of silence or not? But, you know, I, I, I was, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but the whole idea of Omerta and this, this, this code of silence among criminals is that you never say anything, you never speak, but they back it up with actual force. Whereas there's, there's none of that in college football. So I, I, I would wonder if there is a, uh, such a a, a, a uh, culture of, of of not criminality, I guess, uh, but such a culture of rule breaking. Why hasn't it come out? It doesn't make sense to me. You've got uh, so Kiffin, Kiffin comes out and says he's he's speechless. Uh, I think the greatest interview that we'll never see was Kiffin booked for the Dan Patrick show because 
Kiffin wanted to speak the Sabin versus Fisher, or Sabin versus Fisher, uh, Fisher argument, and uh, Sankey, the SEC commissioner, shut that down. He 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 came in. Uh, he said this argument ends, and you know it's probably for the right. But um, I would have loved to have heard that. I just don't think that uh, that the Sicilian Omerta comes close to what we've got right now in the SEC or you know, college football, period. We'll continue with our friend Ben Sears. More about this Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, college football and culture thing right after this. It's hard to tell continues. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, let me ask you this. We've been talking about Jimbo's comments. Let's talk about Nick Saban for just a second. There's been some criticism of his side here, of course, depending, and of course, let's, you know, again, let's be adults. Everybody's got a, their dogs in this fight because, you know, everybody loves Saban or hates Saban because he's the top guy for a long time now. He's got all the rings. Uh, part of the argument against Saban here is like, look, when you're that guy, you're the all-time winningest coach. You're the gold standard. You cannot go on TV and do stuff like that, irregardless of whether it's true or not, irregardless of the facts of the case. When you're that guy, you can't do this publicly. Uh, do you think that's a fair criticism? And to be fair here, you're an Alabama guy. But at the same time, uh, is there merit to that argument? I'm an absolute partisan, and there is definitely merit to that argument. Um, I think Saban just didn't consider what he was doing. But at the same time, I don't think – Saban was saying anything about Fisher or about Texas A&M or about Deion Sanders, because we forget that he was also included in this. Saban's got a habit of commenting to the press and saying things to people beyond them. When Saban's uh, upset that his his team is being told that they're the greatest thing the world's ever, ever seen, he goes to the press and he talks about rat poison. He talks about that. And the message not is not for the press. It's not for me. It's not for you. It's for his team. I think Saban went to uh, to the press and he said something in the sense that he was doing that. He said, look at what Fisher did. Look at what Texas A&M did. Look at what Deion Sanders has done at JSU. And I think he was speaking in a larger sense to the NCAA. He was saying, this is broken. This is a guy. And th- this is another thing with Saban. He is he has repeatedly pointed out rule changes that he doesn't like. And people have said he's complaining because he's going to lose his tactical advantage or something like that. But instead what's happened, I mean, you look at the, uh, the, the transfer portal instead, what's happened is he's taken it to his advantage. He has repeatedly said, this is going to alter college football. And a lot of people think that this was him complaining, but I think in a lot of ways, this was his warning. Uh, he, the transfer portal is the perfect example got to see the offensive weapons that he uh, he got this year he's got the uh the number two running back in the nation i believe 
he's on hinge to get the number one wide receiver. He's got two wide receivers from in conference to add to his team. He's got a tight end that'll blow your mind. Um, I personally, like, like we said, I am a partisan. I kind of wish he would have paid attention to the offensive line, but you know, he's, he, he knows what he's doing better than I do. But uh, he, he has consistently looked at rule changes and he has objected to them. And he has consistently be to- been told that he's complaining. And then when the rule changes actually happen, he's demonstrated how they can be manipulated because I mean, it's, it's not his fault. Once you have a rule change, you have a rule change and he, he's going to play by the rules. You know, I, I, I feel like Saban um, looking at this with Fisher is screaming to the world, these collaborations, instead of taking uh, individual boosters, they're, they're kind of getting together, putting together a bunch of money. And then you come to a, uh, a team, you have a base salary. You sign with the team, you have a base salary. Uh, you can still do the name, image, and likeness, but as Greg Sankey told um, Yahoo Finance, yeah, so the SEC commissioner was talking to Yahoo Finance. He was looking specifically at um, just flat-out payments. They're not even doing ads. And uh, this is, that's paper thin because all they have to do is say, uh, you know, come spend five minutes at this car dealership and smile. Here's a picture. Now you've done an ad. and you can pay somebody whatever they want. You know, I, I, I think Saban was, again, giving out a warning because from what I've read, Alabama is putting together their collective. Yeah, and, and we saw this with USC too, which has been mopping the floor with people with the transfer portal, uh, which, you know, again, nothing against Oklahoma, but LA, Oklahoma, you, you know, it, college football, you've been writing about college football for a long time. The traditional powers are always, you know, the same traditional powers from the 60s and 70s pretty much are the traditional powers now with a few exceptions. You get an Oregon every once in a while where somebody just dumps a ton of money into them. But, you know, USC, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, these are the traditional powers. And when you give the kids the option, which is what these are doing with the transfer portal and now the money on top of it, how much of this is just math of like, hey, the bigger the name of the school, the more money I'm going to make. Doesn't that just come down to a lot of this? Because we're seeing it with USC. We're seeing it with Miami starting to get good. I bet you Miami doesn't have any trouble getting kids in the transfer portal. You go and, and, I, and I'm look. I don't like Miami. I'm an old Big East guy. You know, I can't, I was I was at the game when Randy Shannon got hit with a trash can. I was standing 20 feet from it. Okay, like I don't. I'm just saying, and that was too far, by the way. I'm just saying, those are the power schools. If you're going to start giving kids choice, which is what the transfer portal does, and you start giving them money, which is what the NILs are doing, they're they're going to flock to those big-name schools anyway because that's where the money's always been. But it's been that way for 40, 50 years. Maybe we're overreacting a little bit, and this is just going to have to shake out a little bit. Well, my, my thought is, you say USC. I think I think a big part of USC's bump is coming from the fact that uh, that Riley quit at Oklahoma, and he went over to uh, to USC, and he took some players with him. And I think the expectation is that they're going to be great. Now they built on that. I I think USC is going to be a giant in the next next couple of years. But otherwise, yeah, all of the big schools are going to do well. But what was pointed out with this Texas A and M thing is that A and M has uh, you know forgive me half of Texas because you're going to hate me for this, but you're an eight and fourteen. You always have been. Uh, There are the occasional years where something's great. So how did you do this? 
How did you sign the number one recruiting class in the nation? How did you pull the two top recruits out of Tennessee where you've only pulled two recruits out of Tennessee in the history of your program? Uh, how did it, and this is, this is the most interesting. There's a defensive tackle, God, for, uh, I think his name is Nolan. Okay, so a defensive tackle, the number one recruit, defensive recruit in the nation um, is fr from the Memphis area. Uh, I can't I can't remember if he was on the Mississippi side, but anyway, it was, it, it was the Memphis area. And suddenly his dad gets a job in Knoxville. And oh my gosh, we all know he's going to go to Tennessee. You know, college has a, 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 an awful underbelly, but we're, we're looking at it and we're seeing it. It's like, all right, probably can't prove it, but somebody pulled some levers and this is going to get this kid to sign from Tennessee. And then he doesn't. So whatever it took to get this kid from Memphis to move 400 miles away with his family on the eve of his signing was not enough to keep him from signing with College Station at Texas A&M. And Texas A&M, you know, they were they were above board. It, this is this is why this Jimbo Fisher thing is so weird. They were above board. It looks like they spent about twenty five million dollars getting players to come there, and they say they didn't buy them. Um, I, my thought is, if I'm a if I was last year's class, I'm pissed off. Um, you know, I, I'm like that AT and T customer that says, "Well, why don't I get a free phone?" Because <laughs> because you're attracting new customers. And I, I don't get it, but I, I, I do think there's just all sorts of oddities with that class. There were three or four other five stars that did it. And AM did not have many five stars in their history. And I think they got five or six this year. Yeah. What but, again, but again, the money, that's all allowed now. There's nothing illegal there. They're not cheating. And, and that's, that's the whole trick to this thing is because everybody's like, well, they paid them. And we're all kind of ingrained to be like, oh, you're not supposed to pay players, but this is all completely allowed now. And there's no, I think they're going to crack down after this year. I think they're going to start putting some bumper rails on this, like the bowling alley. Um, yeah. They're, they're going to have to, but right now it's the wild West. They Jimbo didn't do anything wrong here. So it's kind of like, all right, Saban lost his mind. Jimbo lost his mind, but there's really no wrongdoing, at least letter of the law wise here. Well, see, that's, that's what is so weird about this to me is, is Saban flat out said, um, you know, beforehand, or we, we didn't give anybody any guarantees beforehand. Uh, he says, he says that Fisher did and Fisher went nuts, but according to the rules right now, why Fisher was completely within the rules. And if you watch that, and did you, watch, I don't know if you watched it. It's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, a you nine can't miss it. It's that, everywhere. <laughs> well, he's, he I mean, it's looks, not, I'm a man, Mike Gundy, but it's way, way up there. Yeah, well, actually, the I'm a man. See, oh, that's a great contrast because the I'm a man, Mike Gandhi, Gandhi, he was mad, he was angry, he went forward. Uh, I, I thought Fisher was defensive, and I don't understand why. He was, he, he could have just as easily come out and say, you know what, that's right, and just moved on. I think it was because it was Saban, and it's just. If it was anybody but Saban, it probably wouldn't have cut that way. But that's that's my humble but accurate opinion. I think Saban just took something that was about a three or a four and cranked it to nine. But that's just my opinion. Uh, ben Sears joining us, ordinary-times.com. He's wrote it. One of, one of my favorite titles we ever done, even though we don't usually don't want to do a niche title, but this one was too good. I let it go. 
title is, wouldn't it be great if we could get drag gene stallings into this? You got to be somewhat Alabama proficient to know what that's about. Uh, go read it. Ordinary dash times.com. My friend real quick, tell people about what you do. You also do poets day every Friday, which is one of my favorite things we've started doing lately. Let people know where your social media is and also your other writing and maybe a little bit about your pizza making prowess, my friend. Uh, yeah. Poets day is one of my favorite things. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of a particular author out of Scotland. He's, he's, his name is Ian Rankin and he writes uh, police procedural type things. And his officers have something called uh, Poets Day, which is piss off early tomorrow's Saturday. In other words, they just get out of, they get out of the office as early as they can. So what I've done is uh, I've, I've featured a poet, but before I featured the poet, I find a scam, some way to, for you to trick your way out of the office or out of school or whatever it is. Um, I just think it's fun. It's stupid and, and silly. And then I um, sometimes I actually analyze the poem. Sometimes I just throw it out because it's a good poem and it doesn't need my it doesn't need me. Uh, otherwise, I've written about um, food and wine at various places. Um, show up at Roll Bama Roll. I used to be a regular there, but I'm kind of backing off that right now just uh, for no other reason than I did uh, 140 posts over there about food and wine. And I kind of ran out of ideas. Uh, there's a new guy over there. And if, if I can plug him, uh, the guy's name is Bakhtian and he's fantastic. Um, he'll be he'll be coming around next football season. So yeah, I'm writing here, there, and wherever I can. It's fun. Yeah, Ben S Y S on the Twitter.com. It's right under him there on the lower third graphic. Can 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 I mention yeah. real quick on the S Y S? Yeah. Uh, M S Y S? Because uh, my youngest son just asked me about the that today. because uh, I've still got that. Years ago I had a website called Might Stain Your Shirt. And um that's that's uh M S Y S. I was watching a James May special and he was he hated a wine. And he was talking to uh, to the winemaker and his friend said, you know what? I know this winemaker. You can't say anything bad about this, even though you hate it. And he said, um, so so when he was talking to the guy, he says, you know, this might not stain your shirt. And it occurred to me that great things might stain your shirt. And uh, so I lost that website because I stopped paying attention to it. And now it's some uh, Korean gambling site. <laughs> but. MSYS. Good stuff, my friend. Uh, ben Sears, make sure you're reading his writing. Really clever, creative writing. Uh, he has a way with phrases like you got to read this. Uh, one of the comments on Twitter on this post about uh, Alabama and, and the Nick Saban thing was actually like, I don't know anything about sports, but the writing's so good. I still like this. So that's a pretty good compliment, my friend. Uh, ben Sears, thank you for the time today, sir. Appreciate it. Had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Her Telling, Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for staying with us. We sure do appreciate it that you give us the most precious thing you have, your time. Uh, speaking of precious time, there's a couple things in Congress that are going on before this Congress ends. One of them, there's some, ethic invest ethics, there's some ethics investigations going on. Now, they better hurry because Congress is probably going to switch hands here in a couple of weeks. But uh, the House Ethics Committee said Monday it is investigating a trio 
of GOP lawmakers over allegations ranging from accepting a free or below market value trip to Aruba to engaging in improper relationships with a staffer. One of those lawmakers, Madison Cawthorn, this is from the Washington Post. Uh, this is bylined by uh, Felicia Sanmez, Amy Wang, and Marina Sotomayor. Uh, one of those lawmakers, Madison Cawthorn, is a freshman who lost his primary battle. The other two are representatives, Ronnie Jackson. You'll remember his name. He was President Trump's uh, White House doctor. And Alex Mooney, a Republican from West Virginia, who did win his primary. Remember, West Virginia is losing a congressional seat. Uh, Mooney won the rare incumbent on incumbent primary there. Uh, in a statement, the ethics panel noted that the announcements of an investigation, quote, does not in itself indicate any violation has occurred or reflect any judgment on behalf of the committee. Now, in Cawthorn's case, all 10 Democrats and Republicans voted unanimously to establish an investigative subcommittee into the embattled North Carolina Republicans' actions. Who knew all you needed in bipartisanship was Madison Cawthorn? Well done. Uh, the subcommittee is tasked with determining whether he, quote, improperly promoted a cryptocurrency in which he may have had an undisclosed financial interest and engaged in an improper relationship with an individual employed on his congressional staff, um, Cawthorn has denied wrongdoing. We won't rehash all this because, again, he's going to be leaving Congress anyway. So this is kind of going to be small beer one way or the other, other than detailing just how utterly unfit for office this person was. Uh, by the way, the inappropriate relationship is his cousin. That is the uh, person who has been registered that he lives with him. That is the person that showed up in some of those videos that we're not going to really discuss here, but that stuff's out there. Uh, more to the point, uh, Ronnie Jackson um, and Representative Mooney, both of who will still be in Congress. Uh, they're both heavy favorites to keep their seats. An attorney for Jackson maintained the congressman's use of the facility was purely for campaign purposes. What happened here is there's reason to believe that Jackson used his congressional campaign funds to, quote, pay for unlimited access to the Amarillo Club, a private dining club located in, two guesses, Amarillo, Texas. Um, neither Congressman Jackson nor any other member of his family have utilized any benefits of the Amarillo Club other than dining and meeting spaces for campaign purposes. Uh, the House Ethics Committee also published a report on Representative Mooney, who, like we said, just won his primary. The report said the committee would continue to review several allegations against Mooney, including that he may have accepted a free or below market value trip to Aruba, used the campaign vendor's Washington property as a free source of lodging, converted campaign funds to personal use, and pressured congressional staffers to run personal errands for his family. That's always a favorite when people are Congress folk. Uh, Mooney's office did not reply for a comment, the committee's investigating a March 2021 trip Mooney took with his family to Aruba. Good work if you can get it. They stayed at the Ritz-Carlton and had nearly all of their lodging, meals, drinks, and many paid for by HSP Direct, one of Mooney's campaign vendors. According to the report, HSP Direct's payment for the Mooney family vacation totaled nearly $11,000, including, this is a quote, private poolside cabanas, guided tours and activities, and at least one banquet, and likely constitute an impermissible gift under House rules, Mooney also appeared to pay for his return flight to the U.S. with his campaign funds, which would be a violation of campaign finance laws, and he probably violated both House rules and federal law by enlisting his congressional staff to plan for his family's Aruba vacation on official time, the committee found. According to the report, Mooney refused to cooperate with the review by withholding documents, you know, because that's what innocent people do. 
However, the ethics committee was able to obtain the documents and witness testimony on its own from HSP director for Mooney's former and current staff members. The committee is also investigating his use of a house near the Capitol. Um, this goes on. Uh, Mooney's dirty. We know he was dirty. Uh, this is why some Republicans were hoping that he would lose his primary. Now, Trump backed him, and that was pretty much that in a state that Trump won by over 40 points. But something to keep an eye on with Mooney, because West Virginia went down to only two congressional districts. Now, Mooney won the primary to keep his. He'll win his general election uh, race easily, but he has a lot of back scandals under this. Uh, Representative Jackson will watch how that one plays out as well. And again, Madison Cawthorn. Uh, will not be joining us for the next Congress. Thank goodness. He's one of the most unfit for office people there ever was. But we can keep an eye on the official uh, congressional investigation just to see what might happen. Keeping an eye on what's going on. We need to be more accountable with our Congress critters. Small start, but I'm glad. Uh, of course, this is a Democratic Congress, but the Ethics Committee usually does work bipartisan-wise. There's 10 of each on this committee. We'll see what they do, and we'll update you on the story. More Hertel right after this. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Okay, I'm a girl dad, so I've done the princess parties and the Disney princess stuff and teas and dress up. And as they got older, they do all kinds of cosplay stuff now that they're teens. It's all very interesting. I don't understand half of it, but it's fun and games. Uh, so to end on our good note that we always try to do, let's go out to Wisconsin, weautv.com. Uh, that's channel 13 for those of you out there. Uh, on Claire, Wisconsin. An enchanted night full of Disney characters aims to raise money for children's arts programs in the Chippewa Valley, the Chippewa Valley Theater Guild hosted its 11th annual fairy tale ball a few Fridays ago at the Florida Gardens in Enclair. The magical night was full of Disney characters interacting with the kids. There was plenty of opportunities to take pictures, hit the face painting table, and even sign up for a horse-drawn carriage ride. Paige Vassell, who played Beauty and the Beast Belle, said she enjoyed participating in the event and seeing all the kids have fun time. Quote, I moved away briefly, so I haven't worked with the Chippewa Valley Theater Guild in a few years, but I'm so excited to be back here and on Claire and working again. She also said the money from the fairy tale ball goes into supporting arts programs for children at the Chippewa Valley Theater Guild. It's a fantastic way for the community to get together, she said, to put on shows that are important to people that have a lot of meaning. And of course, sometimes it's hard to scourge up that money. So a fundraiser like this is something fun that brings the community together and also raises those funds so that we can continue our mission. There's a link here. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, this is just cool stuff. Disney makes a lot of money by letting kids go and interact with their heroes. You can do that locally. You want to have a fundraiser, just dress up, have your fundraiser. Make sure you check all those copyright laws, though the House of Mouse is a little strict about such things. But cool way to do it. It's basically grown-up princess party stuff. You can look at the video. Uh, little girls all in their dresses. I know I watched a little girl over this past weekend that I watch frequently. It took her about 20 minutes to bring me her princess fairy dress and go dress up, dress up. And she did. It's just good, clean fun. Uh, and kids arts program, kids theater program. Uh, this is something that's kind of slid in importance to a lot of folks. It's important. That's that culture stuff. We use culture here, of course, to mean like political discourse and what people are saying on Twitter, arts, music, 
things like that. That's culture. That's good culture. It gives you good perspective on life. It's the good stuff in life. Make sure you're supporting that wherever you are. That'll do it for Hertel today. Uh, we so appreciate all of you listening, watching, however you're appreciating Hertel. We sure do appreciate you. Do us a favor, though. It only costs you a click to share us. We don't do advertising other than what we do on the social media accounts here. So if you would share us with your friends, put us on your Twitter feeds, your Facebook posts, whatever the case may be, let folks know our little program is worth checking out. We'd sure appreciate it. Also, all those platforms that we're on, whether it's YouTube, iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever the case may be, iHeartRadio, they usually have a place where you can leave a comment and a rating. Would you please do so? We'd sure appreciate that. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We'll reply to the comments when we see them. We'll interact with you in that way. You want to talk to us directly, we'd love to hear from you. Four for the, four for the Fire is my handle on the Twitter. At uh, Hertel Show is the show's Twitter handle. At uh, Hertel Show on the Gmail. You want to send us an email? Happy to read those. Uh, we've actually put those on the show a time or two, might even put you on the show. You never know. Uh, keep your bearing. Be nice about it, but we sure would love to hear from you. Also, remember, every weekday, new Herd Tell. Make sure you're subscribing on whatever platform you are. It doesn't hurt you to subscribe on more than one, by the way. If you watch us on YouTube, you can still subscribe on iTunes, whatever the case may be. We'd love to have you get brand new Herd Tells every weekday. Of course, the Good Talks interview segment breakouts every afternoon, twice on Sunday's show on the weekend, and the deep dives when we do those. There's about 36 of them on really hard topics. Uh, we've been talking about abuse, like in the Southern Baptist Convention. You can go back and listen to Jennifer Greenberg talking about abuse and power structures all the way back. I think it was the fourth podcast we ever did way back in the early days. So all that's there for you. It's all free. It doesn't cost you anything but a click and make sure you're sharing it and let other people know about it. We'd sure appreciate it. And we sure appreciate you. You give us the most precious thing you have, your time. We're never going to waste it. We're always going to try to bring you good information, turning down the noise of the news cycle. So until we see you again, wherever you and yours are, across the street or around the world, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. Can't wait to talk to you again next time on Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save